Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? How many of you feel like you lost an hour's worth of sleep last night? Anybody in the house? I walked in the green room earlier uh, as we were getting ready to, to go, and it looked like every musician was just just conked out on the couch there. So, But, uh, but man, they came out, and they just uh, did a wonderful job of leading us in worship here this morning. It's good to see you here. If you're visiting with us today, we're, we're glad that you're here. We, uh, we always love meeting new friends and making new connections, and so if you're here, we're glad that you're here and, and uh, excited that you joined us here this morning. Uh, you know, uh, I, wa- I want to start off this morning before we pray by just asking a bit of a question, and, and this question is this. How many of you are ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Amen? You ready to hear from the Lord? Ready to take a big step of faith this morning? How many of you are willing to take a big step of faith this morning? Anybody? All right. Well, good deal. You know, it, it just uh, I was thinking about it uh, this week just before, um, before just writing this message and everything that each and every week we come out here and, and we gather together and, and something begins to happen as God begins to, to just take us to a place of worship as we stand here and the, the worship team leads us to this, this place of worship and, and we begin to center our hearts and our minds on on Christ and just be thankful for who he is and lift up our voices in praise and adoration to God and just we just find ourselves very thankful to that then we come up here and we open up God's word together and and we uh, we, we begin to study God's word we begin to uh, to just ask God to move in our hearts and and something happens when we begin to gather and worship God like that God begins to speak into our hearts and, uh, and as that happens, we begin to realize that the Holy Spirit begins to, uh, to encourage us. He has a way of doing that in our life. He encourages us, and He challenges us, and He convicts us, and He restores us, and He heals us, and all those great things that, that we just look forward to as we gather in this room. And so uh, this morning, I just felt like I would just remind us, you know, why it is that we're gathered here. We're gathered here this morning to, to worship God, but to also just be reminded that God wants to do something incredible in our hearts this morning. And maybe for some of you here this morning, God is challenging you to take a big step of faith in your life. And and so that may be where he has you. That may be what he wants to do in your life. But maybe for some of you in this room here today, there's, there's restoration in order. And God wants to take your life and bring you to a place of healing. And maybe for some of you here today, you know, conviction and and a challenge from God is what is needed in your life or maybe encouragement in your life and so I pray that whatever God wants to do in your life that he would do that he would move in your hearts and in your minds and and in mine as well and then as we go through that process of just listening to God this morning through the reading and the preaching of his word that we would be responsive to that that we would be we would be willing and and able and ready to hear from God that he would do something remarkable in our life. And so that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you this morning as we get ready to dive into God's word together. So let's pray and let's ask God to do that in our life this morning. Pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for just an amazing time of worship this morning. God, how you continue to move in our hearts and our minds and stir our very souls, God, with your presence. 
God, we recognize that, that Lord, worship is just a, a privilege and an honor for us to be able to come and stand before you, made righteous through Christ Jesus, be able to, to praise your name, to exalt the name of Jesus, to, to love you in the way that we love you, and to worship in spirit and truth. And so, Father, we just thank you for that time. We thank you, God, for the reality that, Lord, as we dive into your word, your word, Lord, acts as a two-edged sword piercing our hearts, causing us to think more about who you are, causing us to think more about how we are living our life and who we are as believers in Jesus. And God, how you continue to work in our lives. And God, we're just ready to hear from you this morning. We're ready to, to think about all that you want to teach us. Lord, as we look into your word and we study who Jesus is. Father, we love you so much and we praise you, God, for every great work that you have already done in our hearts. And God, as we, as we prepare now to hear from you, I pray, Father, that you would continue to move, you would continue to just give us life and give it abundantly. Lord, we love you so much and we, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We began last week a new series and we started walking through really understanding what the Holy Week was all about. The Holy Week as we know it is Jesus' last week on earth. Not really his last week. His last week before the crucifixion. He actually uh, stuck around for a little while after that. But, but what we see here is we see Jesus on a Sunday prepared to move into Jerusalem. He gathers right outside the little community called Bethany. And it's there that we begin to see what it, we come to know as Palm Sunday. Where there's this huge celebration where people are throwing their garments on the ground they're they're cutting branches from palm trees and they're laying on the ground and they're they're welcoming the arrival of their king and Jesus comes in to town riding on a small colt a donkey if you will and and as he's riding in we begin to to see the events that play out the rest of this week ultimately leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that we celebrate every year the resurrection of Jesus on, on Easter Sunday. We try to celebrate it really every Sunday as we gather here together. But, but it's especially important to us as we remember the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so we started this series where we were going to really look at this week, how it played out, what all happened. And we began by looking last week at at the triumphal entry of Jesus. And we talked about how this was a great time of celebration. The people were, were truly humbling themselves before the king, and they were, they were making welcome to Jesus as he came into town, and they were believing that prophecy had been fulfilled. And, and so the, 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 the city was full of excitement. But one of the things that we notice as we read in Scripture is that things begin to change very quickly and we begin to see where this, this amazing time of celebration, this amazing time of just jubilee and, and worship begin to turn to a time of hatred and betrayal. We begin to see where, where the people, uh, they begin to turn away from Jesus and, 
and ultimately the people who cried out to him Hosanna in the highest would come to a place where they would scream out crucify him we talked about also how this is all a part of God's plan as he sent his son to this earth to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins for the for the reality that his blood would be spilled for the atonement of our sins and so this is where we began last week and we we went to the gospel of Mark we're going to do that again today we're going to go to the gospel of Mark and I want to invite you to turn with me here this morning to the gospel of Mark we're going to chapter 12 today and we're going to read a passage from verse 1 through verse 11 so Mark chapter 12 verse 1 through 11 and today we're going to be looking at Christ the cornerstone Christ the cornerstone now what we're going to see here today is something that's kind of remarkable uh, even though Jesus is someone who we would as believers in Christ recognize as our cornerstone you've probably heard sermons in your life where we address Jesus as our cornerstone but the reality is in the text that we're looking at today he is the rejected cornerstone he is the rejected cornerstone and this is where things begin to change this is where the hearts of the people begin to make a shift away from just celebrating the arrival of a king to beginning to to really grow in their hatred toward him and so uh, I want to offer to you a bit of a bit of uh, background as I mentioned Jesus has entered into Bethany on Sunday Palm Sunday as we celebrate today on his way to Jerusalem and by Monday he has arrived in Jerusalem and and it's really interesting because Jesus begins to disrupt a few things Jesus begins to to disrupt uh, uh, in fact uh, a lot of things he he's uh, he's beginning to bring about some or, or beginning to fulfill some things and and uh, and 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 in his actions that he takes the people begin to question his authority people begin to question what he's doing in fact in mark 11 before we get to the text that we're reading today in mark 11 uh we see where the chief priests and the scribes and the the leaders of israel they come to jesus and they they question his authority i mean you know at one moment they're they're praising him as he walks in and then, and, and then the leaders of Israel are coming because they don't like what's happening here. They don't like the fact that their popularity is starting to shift from, from them to Jesus. And so they're the first to really accuse Jesus of being someone who has zero authority. And so they go to Jesus and they begin to ask him. We see in Mark eleven twenty eight, it says, by what authority are you doing these things? They do not like the fact that Jesus is disrupting the the religious system if you will of their day they don't like the fact that he is changing the rules that Jesus is declaring he's already now remember he's been walking on this earth for three years he's been he's been doing ministry since he called his disciples he's been healing he's been performing miracles he's been sort of disrupting things anyway but now he comes in and he's really beginning to to change things up he's really beginning to prepare uh, for that day where he will go to the cross and so we begin to see this and they ask him they say where do you get your authority who made you king I mean the the religious leaders they've had enough of Jesus and so they look at him and they say where, where do you where do you come from 
bringing all this and, and sort of messing everything up. And Jesus refuses to tell them where he gets his authority, but he offers to them a parable. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today. Our text is literally a, a parable that Jesus offers to the religious leaders, to those, to those chief priests, to those scribes, to those elders that he is speaking with. And we, all, we, all, uh, we, we know that Jesus often used parables to illustrate a point. A parable is basically an illustration. A parable is a story that Jesus sort of makes up. It, it really... It's a scenario that he sort of unfolds. It's a, it's a story that he makes up to make a point. And so it's just in the same way, I think a lot of times preachers will use illustrations to help, uh, help someone understand what the Word of God is teaching. And oftentimes Jesus would use these parables to, to make a point, to prove a point that he was trying to get across. And so these leaders are coming to him and they're saying, by whose authority do you come? Who made you boss, in other words? And Jesus says, he, he just refuses to tell them. And then he tells them this story. And let me just say, uh, before we read this parable here together, they understand clearly what Jesus is trying to say to them. You know, we as, as, uh, as believers today, we read through the scriptures, and we see a, a parable like this, and maybe we just don't get it. We have to go back and we have to look at the Old Testament. We have to go back and we have to study what the Word of God teaches us about all the different things before we really can process it. But remember, these religious leaders, these, these chief priests, these scribes, they were, they, were, they were the keepers of the law. And so they, they understood the Scripture. They knew what the Scripture had to say. And so when Jesus brings this truth to them, that He is the cornerstone, when He presents this truth and he presents it in the way that he does, they hear him loud and clear. And let me just say, they don't like it one bit. And so let's look at this together, okay? Let's read this parable together that Jesus said in Mark uh, chapter 12, starting with verse 1. It says, and he began to speak to them in parables. And so Jesus says this. He says, a man planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it, and he dug a pit for the wine press, and he built a tower. And he leased it to the tenants and went into another country. And let me just say, before we read any further, I think it's really interesting, you know, Jesus is, and this is what we're going to talk about here in just a moment, the man who owns the vineyard, who planted the vineyard, is, Jesus is referring to God, he's, he's referring to the Lord, okay? And so he is, he's laying this out, this parable. He's presenting this parable, and he, he's, he's, he's saying this about what God has done, and, and the keepers of the vineyard is Israel. And so the, Jesus is talking about uh, the, the, the planter of the vineyard, the, key, the owner of the vineyard being God or the Lord, and he's talking about the tenants, the people who are caring for this vineyard as being Israel, And so those are the players that he's speaking of here. He's, he's sort of proposing that. And I think it's interesting because what God said, I mean, what Jesus says here is he says he dug him a wine pit and he put down in that pit a, a wine press and then he built a tower so that, so that you could protect against the enemies of, of the vineyard. And so what I see there, what's really incredible is that, that Jesus is saying, listen, God gave to you to tend this 
kingdom, if you will, this, this, this nation, if you will, and he gave you everything you needed to protect it. You, he gave you everything you needed to, to come to, to grips with this, to use it, in other words. And so, uh, so and, and, and like I said, we're going to look at this in just a moment. They, they hear clearly. They understand exactly where he's going with this. They don't know what he's about to say, but they, they, they've already, he's already got their attention with just those few words, okay? And then he resumes. It says in verse 2, And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. And again, he, the Lord, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and they treated him shamefully. And he, the keeper of the vineyard, he sent another, and they killed him, and with so many others... Some they beat and some they killed. He still had one, another, one other, a beloved son. A beloved son. And finally he sent him to them saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scriptures? Remember, this is Jesus teaching them the parable, and he says, have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Now, what is really interesting to me about this parable what is really interesting to me about this story that Jesus is telling is why he told the story to begin with. I mean, what, what is really interesting is why Jesus felt compelled to share this parable. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the, the leaders of Israel. He's speaking to the keepers of the law. He's speaking to the, the higher-ups, if you will, and he's speaking to them, and he's just said this to them, and I can promise you that they are enraged by what they are seeing. But here's what we must remember. Remember, Jesus says he entered the city, the, the red carpet was rolled out. And so there was, there was a popularity shift that was beginning to take place away from the current religious status or system. And it's beginning to shift toward Jesus. And this is something that is out of everybody's hands because this, all as we know it, is God's plan. God sent his son to come to this earth to walk and live a perfect and sinless life that he would ultimately go to the cross and it would be there on the cross that he would die for the atonement of our sins and all who would believe in him, all would who would embrace the reality that, that this is God's son, that he died on the cross, that his blood was spilt for our sins, who was buried in a tomb and would be raised from the dead all those who would believe that and confess that with their mouth and believe it in their heart shall be saved. And so Jesus came to change the way things were. And so this is really out of everybody's hands. In fact, Jesus acknowledges that when he says, this is the Lord's doing at the end. He said, this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And so Jesus has just told them there's going to be a change of plan around here. And there's nothing they can do to stop it because this is the work of the Lord. This is the work of God. And so he's, he's laying this out to them 
And, and, and then we, we, we notice that in this, Jesus is really beginning, it seems like, to stir up trouble. I mean, you, you would think he just kind of came in on this donkey, uh, the whole world celebrating. You would think he would just kind of keep moving with this great time of celebration. But you see, they're looking for a different kind of king that, than what he is and what he wants to be for them. And so here he begins to stir up trouble. He begins to sort of offer this, this bombshell that he drops on them, if you will. And now with the chief priests and the scribes and the elders all listening and, and, and knowing exactly what he is saying, we begin to realize they become hugely offended. They don't like for one moment what Jesus is saying. They don't embrace it. They don't like it. In fact, they are infuriated. They, they become very angry over the words that Jesus is using. And we look at that and we, we think, well, he's just telling a story, right? Why would it be that they would become so angry over what Jesus is telling them? To really understand this, to understand what it is that's taking place, we would have to understand first that what Jesus is doing is he is quoting Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2. He's literally quoting Isaiah 5, verses 1 and 2. And that's why they, they are hearing this, they are understanding this. This is why they know what it is that he is beginning to share with them. And so these leaders, these, these priests and scribes and elders, they, they knew what he was saying, and immediately uh, they, they recognized that what he is saying is what has been given to them for them to care for is about to be taken away because that's the point that Jesus is making. He says, I sent these people to you proclaiming truth. You beat them, you sent them away. And then Jesus says to them, but, but the Lord or the owner of the vineyard, he is going to send his beloved son. He's going to send his beloved son. And surely they'll embrace the beloved son, but they don't. They reject the son of God. They reject the son of man. They reject Jesus. And they begin to grow in their hatred toward him. And what Jesus is saying is as that unfolds, you see, God knows how all this is going to play out. None of this surprises God. And so as all of this begins to unfold, then what is going to happen is God is going to take away what he's given to them and he's going to shift that somewhere else and what Jesus says and I love how he switches analogies he's talking about a vineyard and all of a sudden he's talking about building something right and he begins to talk about builders and he says here in the last part he says he says have you not read the scriptures the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone it has become the cornerstone. Now, if you know anything about uh, building uh, uh, structures in, in Jesus' day, the cornerstone was the beginning of any building that was going to be built. A cornerstone was placed, and every horizontal line that was taken uh, in building the structure was taken from that cornerstone. Every vertical uh, rise that came from that building was built upon that cornerstone. It was the most important stone of all the stones that were used to build a structure. And so what he's saying here is he's saying the builder is going to offer 
the greatest cornerstone, this cornerstone being Jesus. And as we look all throughout Scripture, we begin to see that this cornerstone is pointing to Jesus and everything is about to change. Now, we've got to also remember that this isn't an oops moment for Jesus. This isn't like he said this and then suddenly regretted that he said it, right? Even though the people are going to turn very hostile toward Jesus, even though the people of Israel are going to soon be crying out, I mean, before the week is over, they're going to be crying out, crucify him. Uh, he does not see this as a, a oops moment. He didn't make a mistake when he said this. He sees the hatred in their eyes, but he knows that this is truth that must be spoken and as we see this, we begin to see that this story was literally designed to escalate their hostility. You see, this was very purposeful. Jesus had to go to the cross. We know that. Jesus must go to the cross. He must go to the cross. He must die a death uh, of crucifixion so that he could be buried in a tomb and in three days raised from the be raised from the dead. So he had to die. And so to get to the cross, Jesus is sharing this story, and he's going to carry out the series of events that are going to ultimately lead to the people crying out, crucify him, which is ultimately going to take him to the cross where he can die, not for himself, but for you and for me. Amen? How many of you celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning? We celebrate this. Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. And this was the beginning point. This was the starting point for him getting there. Why is this so offensive to them? There's a couple of reasons. I think one is the Lord is the owner of the vineyard. Israel was placed over it to tend for, but not for long. Jesus is going to change that. He says in verse 9, he says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those who are caring for it and give the vineyard to others. Who would be the others when Jesus is going to ascend into heaven? It would be the apostles who go out and begin to preach the gospel. They go out to plant churches. They begin to, they begin to take the gospel not only to Jerusalem but to Judea, Samaria, and ultimately the ends of the earth. And the church, which is what Jesus is referring to here, this church which is, uh, is, is what Jesus is pointing to here, is going to be cared for by others. It's no longer going to be the religious system that everybody has always looked toward. Things are changing. There's a new covenant, and Jesus is it. And so he's pointing out this truth to them, and that makes them very upset. Uh, he says here that they sent the, 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 uh, the owner of the vineyard, he sent his son, and they rejected and killed him and this is exactly what's going to happen when he goes to the cross it's exactly what's going to take place and so Jesus is pointing all this out and then the third thing that I sort of see here as I look at this that would make it so offensive for them is that Jesus will be Lord over all all that is to be built from this moment forward he says here the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone remember they already did not like Jesus they already were just fed up with Jesus. And now Jesus is declaring that he is the cornerstone from which everything else will be built. 
know, as you think about Christianity and you think about church history, you look over the years and you just see how, you know, from the cross, all that has happened, all that has been accomplished, that all that God is doing. And I, I think about that. I think about the, the reality that our church history is built upon this cornerstone, Jesus, right? But not only that, our lives are built upon this cornerstone, Jesus, right? Hopefully they're built upon this cornerstone, Jesus, right? I mean, we talked about a few weeks ago about the foundation, that Jesus is our firm foundation. And, and hopefully all of us in here, as we continue to live our life, as we continue to, to do the things that we do and say the things that we say and carry out the, the things that we feel that we're to carry out, hopefully all of that, all of that is built upon the cornerstone Jesus. Hopefully we all turn to Jesus, that we keep our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we stand firmly on Jesus in everything that we do. And we, we recognize that oftentimes Christians don't find themselves there. Oftentimes Christians are overwhelmed by fear and, and a lack of courage. That oftentimes Christians find themselves facing uncertainty and allowing that to overwhelm them. Oftentimes, uh, Christians find themselves not really having any direction in life or feeling a sense of despair or depression. And so oftentimes, we forget that Jesus is the cornerstone, but the truth teaches us that Jesus is the cornerstone. And everything that we build upon in our life should be built upon Jesus being the cornerstone of our faith. Amen? Amen. Everything. And so this is the point that Jesus is making. Everything is about the change. So the big question to us this morning is this, why is this so important to us? What is it about this story that makes this relevant for you and me? We read a story and we see where this is an encounter between Jesus and the chief priest and the scribes and the elders and we recognize that there would obviously be tension between them. But as we look at this story, what is it that we can take away? What is it that we learn? What is it that we see here in the story that is applicable to who we are as followers of Christ Jesus. And, 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 and we look at this and we begin to see a lot, I believe, you know, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. <clears throat> first of all, Jesus established the church. That is the body of Christ. You know, we, we, we read the story. It's found in, in Acts. I mean, the, the book of Acts is really just an account of the early church. And we see that that after Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he stuck around for a little while, and then he ascended into heaven. And as he ascended into heaven, he instructed them to go back to Jerusalem, and that's exactly what the disciples did. They went back to Jerusalem. It says that they went up into an upper room, and they began to pray, and he said he promised them that he would send the Holy Spirit, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came into their life, and, and suddenly the, the disciples, they understand their role as disciples is to go out and to preach the gospel. We see that amazing sermon that, pre that Peter preached in, in Acts where he, he stands before the people and he proclaims the truth of the gospel. And we begin to see really the beginning of the church in which Christ has established. He declares himself the head and we are the what? We're the body, right? And so he, he establishes the church. And for us, that's very relevant to us uh, here today. That's, that's what makes this relevant. And Jesus says, everything that will build upon the church will be built upon who? Not your pastor, Jesus, right? Not me, 
not our, our shepherding team, not our, not our leaders and our other pastors. That's not what this is about. We're building everything upon who? The cornerstone of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where it begins and that's where it goes. And so we begin to see that, that Jesus created, he established, he founded the body of Christ, the church. And so we begin to realize this and Jesus became this cornerstone of what God was building in the hearts of others. And so we begin to see this playing out. And so everything now stood on Jesus. Jesus is saying, everything will begin with me. Everything will begin with me. He is declaring to be the foundation of everything that moves forward. I think it's interesting, by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, I mentioned that a while ago, Acts, and, and we get to Acts chapter 4, we begin to see something really remarkable uh, about Peter. You remember uh, the Apostle Peter? Uh, Peter was one who, who a lot of times just had a, a little bit of faith. I mean, you know, he just, Peter was that guy who I would, if, 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 if I happened to be one of those guys back then, I think I relate mostly with Peter because Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth, you know. He was always just saying something that was maybe just a little, you know, just, just a little wacky sometimes. Jesus was constantly correcting him. He was just that kind of guy. But, but, but Peter was a guy who really loved Jesus. And, and so immediately after Jesus has ascended into heaven and the, and the Holy Spirit has come into their life and they go out and they begin to preach the gospel, what we see in Peter was a boldness that really just kind of came from nowhere. It wasn't really Peter. In fact, remember, he's the one who fled when they were arresting Jesus, and he's the one who denied Jesus three times during that moment. And so, so but now we see in Acts, as we move beyond the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and even the ascension of Jesus, as we move beyond that, we begin to see a boldness sort of spring up out of Peter and Peter begins to really just tell people the way it is and he begins to present the truth of the gospel and so in Acts chapter 4 we see something really interesting I think we see something where Peter says it says then then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit he said to them rulers of the people and elders of Israel so who is he talking to he's talking to the same people that Jesus spoke to earlier before his crucifixion as he laid out this reality that he was the cornerstone, and he says this, he says, rulers and people of the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for good deeds done to a helpless man, by what means has he made well? He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And so Peter, in this remarkable boldness, in this remarkable boldness, in this, this, this willingness, if you will, to stand before the people of Israel and to preach the gospel, to preach the truth, about who Jesus is. He says, you are the ones who rejected him. You are the ones who crucified him. But you were wrong because he is the chief cornerstone. And everything that is built beyond this point forward is built upon Jesus Christ. And so what boldness he begins to teach. And I, I believe that that teaches us a lot about 
how we need to acknowledge Jesus as the cornerstone in our life. Peter acknowledges that everything has changed with Jesus. Everything. And because of this, because of that, everything has changed for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, every one of us in this room have a story, don't we? As believers who have been redeemed by the power and presence and uh, of God in our life for those of us in this room who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus every one of us in this room have a story we have a story to share we have a story to share about what Christ has done for us and most every one of us who have that story in fact we can't have that story and not be able to say this but with Jesus everything changed amen with Jesus boy are there really only about eight of you that are saved in here this morning? Wow. Are there only eight of you that know Jesus this morning? Or are you just, is that hour, see, that hour that you missed last night is starting to show a little bit, right? You're, you're not awake, are you, this morning? Brent Moore, wake up. Where's Brent Moore? Oh, he's in the green room. He told me that this morning he would be sleeping. And I told him... I'm going to find a time to just call you out and wake you up then, okay? So there you go, Brent Moore. Wake up. So anyway, uh, turns out that a lot of you are sleeping with him, I guess, right? How many of you with Jesus, everything changed? Amen? There you go. See, you're all responding now because you don't want me to call you out, right? I'll call you out now. So anyway... But everything changes. Every one of us have a story, amen? We all have a story of life change. We all have a story where God did something remarkable in our life. Listen carefully to these words that describe who we are in Christ Jesus. As Jesus being our cornerstone, and with the reality that everything changes, listen to these words. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says this, Coming to him... As to a living stone, Jesus, we know, is a living stone. He's not a, he's not a dead stone. He's not a dead teacher or rabbi living in a tomb somewhere, is he? He's been raised from the grave, and it says, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a, uh, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter, he goes on to teach us in, in this letter, he goes on to teach us that we are precious in God's sight. That's what Jesus has done for us, that we are precious in God's sight, that we are a holy priesthood, and that we have been offered up to bring our sacrifices or our worship before God that's why we can come into this room on a Sunday morning and we can gather together and we can lift up our voices in praise and adoration to God why because Jesus changed everything amen? amen Jesus changed everything and so we see this in first Peter 2 9 through 10 he says this he says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood how many of you have ever thought of yourself as royalty you know that's probably not where we go today is it but the word of God says to us that we we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation listen to this the word of God says his own special people 
If that doesn't encourage you this morning, you need to check your pulse. Amen? That, that's encouraging that we would be, as those redeemed by Christ Jesus, His own special people. You see how things begin to change? It began to, it began to change in this time of history where Jesus became the, the chief cornerstone of our faith, His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God. I love that. Who were once not a people, but we are now the people of God, whom Jesus brought out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's worth celebrating this morning, isn't it? Amen. Give Jesus praise and honor and glory for that truth in your life. It says here in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And I'm almost done. I'm going to ask the band to come on out here. But we see here in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, where Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he says this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself becoming the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. And so here's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. Paul is saying this. He's saying what Christ has done in your life what God has done that is so remarkable in your life is he has redeemed you. He has made you his own special people. God has done something really incredible in your life. Him becoming the chief cornerstone. And it says in whom the building is being fitted together. Uh, an analogy talking about the body of Christ or the church. He's not talking about a, a, a real structure. He's talking about what God is doing in the lives of individuals as he brings them together and we begin to see these words that are so incredible to, me, to, to us here this morning. It says he's building and fitting us together to grow into the holy temple of the Lord in whom you are built together. Listen to this now as a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. As a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Think about that for just a moment. What does church mean to you this morning? What does coming into this building mean to you this morning? My prayer is, is that coming into this building this morning, you're not just checking off a box as some sort of weekly responsibility you have because you have proclaimed yourself as a Christian, and so therefore you must go to church. I hope that's not why you walked into this, this place. I, I pray that you've come here today, that you've gathered in this place together with each other, that we have gathered in this place together because we recognize that Jesus is what everything is being built upon. That as we come here together as believers and followers of Christ Jesus, that we are recognizing Jesus as the cornerstone of not only what he's doing in our lives as individuals, and we've given praise and adoration to that, but also 
to celebrate what God is doing as he knits us together. That's what the scripture says. As he binds us together, as he brings us together, and he creates in us, think about this. He creates in us a dwelling place for his spirit. I pray that you come in here this morning to encounter God. I pray that you come in here this morning to encounter a holy and living Savior named Jesus. I pray that this morning you came in here expecting and hoping and praying that God would do something remarkable in your life. I pray that you would recognize that God can and will and wants to do something remarkable in your life. That's what I pray for. I pray that we came in here this morning expecting to hear from God, to be encouraged, to be restored, to be healed, to to be taken to that place where maybe we've never been taken before with God. Not just see our friends. Not just hear cool music. Not just listen to a sermon. But to encounter God this morning. That's my prayer. That's my hope for us this morning. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, he shares the same parable with us. We see Jesus saying the same things that he says here in Mark. We see the exact same parable. But Luke gives us a glimpse into one other aspect of the story that Mark doesn't share. He he says these words in, in chapter 20, verse 18. He says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces all of man on anyone it will be crushed it will crush him here's what here's what luke is adding to the story that i think is remarkably important for us to hear there will be those who embrace jesus christ as lord and savior of their life and they will be blessed beyond measure it will be the starting point it'll be the beginning point of everything good that happens in their life it'll be the starting point of everything that god wants to do to bring fullness and completion into our life. But he also says, Luke also brings us this truth that those that don't embrace Jesus Christ, that don't make that shift into believing in the author and the perfecter of our faith, that that cornerstone will be a rock that crushes and destroys. There's no riding the fence in Christianity. There's either followers of Christ Jesus or they're not. There's no both and and something in the middle. It's one or the other. And that's the point that Luke is making. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, the, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But, the, those of us who, but, but for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what he's basically saying is this. You either believe the gospel and you recognize it as the power of God to save your soul or you reject the gospel as foolishness. And the way Paul presents it to the Corinthians is they're perishing. There's no greater day than today to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's no greater day. There's no greater day to turn from 
even disobedience as believers in Christ Jesus and turn back to Him and pray that God would restore our lives. There's no greater day to turn to Jesus than today and to cry out to Him in a spirit of worship, just asking God to change our life day by day, to help us to live our life day by day in His presence and in our obedience. There's no greater day than today than to embrace Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of our faith. I know that embracing Jesus Christ was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. It's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. And I'm not saying here before you today that I have arrived, that I am perfect. I still work on it every single day, working out my faith every single day. But the greatest blessing in my life is turning to Jesus Christ and surrendering my life to Him and seeing all that God wants to do in my life and where He wants to take me, where He wants to take me as His special as his own as those who belong to him this morning cross point I pray that we would recognize that Jesus has broken down that wall of hostility he has made a way for us to understand and to embrace and to expect and to believe and to, to just carry out all the goodness He's the one that has made our relationship with God right. He's the one who's imparted His righteousness upon us. And so in just a moment, our band's going to come out here and they're going to sing. In just a moment, we're going to sing that last song. And I pray, faith family, that if there's anything that you need to take care of this morning with Jesus, that you would take care of that. If there's any response that would be appropriate in your life as you turn to Jesus, you welcome Jesus into your life. If there's anything you need to pray for, this altar is a great place to come. Our pastors will be down front. We're here for you. We're here after the service if you want to come and speak to us. We want to pray with you. We want to help you understand everything there is to know about Jesus, or at least everything we know about Jesus. But in just a moment, after I pray and as the band plays, you listen see what it is that God is